this is what he put out today. Again, you guys can read along as well at statusku.substack.com. Joe Manchin silent as West Virginia Democrats ram through affirmative action plan without consulting black leadership. So this is a situation where there have been you know, calls to uh, consult black leadership and make sure that that policies and and things that are going through uh, legislation that's going through has consulted uh, black leadership, has consulted uh, Hispanics and uh, people of color. And so through pressure, as you'll see, this was supposed to happen, but that is not at all what happened. What actually happened is shocking. Here's one of the quotes from later on in the article. Why are white people drafting a plan for Hispanics and black people? West Virginia Dems member Susan Miley shot back in a wild June 3rd meeting. And when Jordan says wild June 3rd meeting, he means a wild June 3rd meeting. The entire two hour meeting is posted at the bottom of this article. Uh, I've watched part of it. Jordan watched the entire thing. It is crazy. It is crazy what they did to these people. Without further ado, the June 3rd West Virginia State Executive Committee meeting started off well enough. State Party Chairwoman Belinda Biafor, a close ally of West Virginia Senator Joe Manchin, introduced two new members to the Executive Committee, Hollis Lewis and Mary Thorpe. Lewis and Thorpe also serve as co-chairs for the newly formed State Affirmative Action Committee. So this is gonna become very important throughout the article is this newly formed State Affirmative Action Committee, uh, which Lewis and Thorpe are, are co-chairs of, which seems like a great step, right? I'm so excited to be here. This is historic. And I think what we're doing now is moving this party and eventually we're going to move this state in the right direction. Lewis, an African-American said when introduced, the introductions were 46 years in the making. In 1976, the DNC's charter directed all state parties to create an affirmative action committee and plan. But West Virginia Democrats never formed the committee or plan, only conceding in March to activists and progressive party members pressure for the state party to follow the DNC's directive from decades ago. So there's part of the problem right there. It's taken them this long to take the step that they were supposed to take in the 70s. In the 70s, folks, the 1970s. Continuing on, preceding the executive committee meeting was the first meeting of the AAC on June 2nd. Multiple sources told status quo that after the state party bylaws were changed on March 15th to begin the process of forming the AAC, with a deadline two months later, Chairwoman Biafor sat on her hands. Biafor expedited the process only after a state party member sent her a frustrated email on April 30th, with the DNC chair, Jamie Harrison, and other national DNC members copied about the lack of action on the formation of the AAC and other diversity committees. So you folks can head on over to statusku.substack.com and read that. Over an hour later, the state party sends out an email announcing details of the AAC, including how co-chairs and at-large members will be selected. 
At the June 2nd AAC meeting, Viaflor presented AAC members with an affirmative action plan that was constructed with no input from the AAC, which of course is a violation. And the AAC unanimously rejected that plan. She ignored it as if it did not exist. AAC co-chair Mary Thorpe told Status Coup about Chairwoman Viaflor's response to the AAC rejecting the plan. It was never mentioned by her. Following the AAC rejecting Viaflor's plan, the State Executive Committee held a meeting the next day that was aired live on YouTube. That's that two-hour stream referenced earlier. The key agenda item was a vote on the affirmative action plan. At the beginning of the June 3rd Zoom meeting, VFR set the tone by blocking the six at-large members of the AAC, two of whom are African-American, from joining the meeting. So <laughs> they're literally blocking out during a vote related to an affirmative action plan, blocking out Black people. Explaining that the six at-large AAC members would be let into the meeting after the vote on the affirmative action plan, thus eliminating the chance for their objections to the affirmative action plan. To me, it was just very dismissive. The party itself waited 46 years in order to implement this. And now after these 46 years, you can't then turn around and say, well, we know what's best and we're gonna write this for you. AAC co-chair Hollis told Status Quo. When Chairwoman Biavor tried to proceed to vote on the plan with the at-large members still blocked from entering the meeting, AAC co-chair Thorpe tried to interject. She was met with angry pushback from Biavor. Excuse me, I'm talking about what the plan is about, the chairwoman shot back. Thorpe was shocked by Biavor's heavy-handed attempt to pass an affirmative action plan without input from AAC members. I don't know anybody that can watch that who wouldn't be shocked out of their mind, Thorpe told Status Coup, adding that BF4's actions exuded arrogance. It matches up with all the stuff that Joe Manchin is doing. It's like, what is he doing this for? He keeps saying he's doing it for the people of West Virginia. What people of West Virginia? As BF4 ignored Thorpe's objection, she claimed that the passage of the plan already unanimously rejected by the AAC would not preclude AAC members from making amendments to the plan in the future. So trying to placate people, of course. She then called for a vote. Pushback erupted among white and minority executive committee members. It defeats the purpose of having an affirmative action committee if they don't have input on the affirmative action plan, state party member Walt Allville objected. But BFOR held fast to keeping the six at-large AAC members out of the meeting until the vote on the affirmative action plan. Who does this woman think she is? What is she doing? This is insane. This is crazy. How is this not on CNN? Thank goodness for, for, uh, for status quo. Thank goodness for, for Jordan's hard work on this. We don't know who these people are. Party member Teddy Grogan, another white woman, said in support of BFOR. Think about that. We don't know who these people are. <laughs> what? Wow. She requested biographies for the AAC members to learn what they bring to the table for the committee. What a racist, just awful 
person. This is unbelievable. I, yeah, I, I don't, I, I, there are no words for how this person on the Democrat side thinks that she's not being racist, that BFOR and this Teddy Grogan think they're not being racist. We don't know who these people are, what they bring to the table, but because, you know, they're black, that therefore they could be locked out of the meeting. Susan Miley, a Latina state party member, responded with disgust. I can't even comprehend us not seating the members of an affirmative action committee prior to voting on the affirmative action plan when they're the ones that are supposed to be creating the affirmative action plan. I think it looks horribly bad. And uh, others, of course, objected, why are white people drafting a plan for Hispanics and black people? AAC co-chair Hollis Lewis said, you can't draft something on behalf of us. And this here is Hollis. This is the meeting. It was, of course, a Zoom meeting, as things are these days. Lewis said the meeting's attempt to signal diversity while blocking input from minority voices on an affirmative action plan is part of a wider pattern of the state party straddling the line between messaging on diversity while not alienating Republican voters. So that's what it comes down to. Why is Joe Manchin not speaking out on this? Well, first of all, he's a Republican. He's not a Democrat. Second of all, this is West Virginia. It's a more conservative Republican type state, but these people just going all the way up to Joe Biden, going back to Hillary Clinton, rather than courting progressives, they courted Republicans. Hillary said, you know, she didn't need Bernie supporters. She didn't need progressives. That's what these folks think as well, except in this case, it's outright racist. It's not even veiled. Oh, we don't need these black people to create this affirmative action plan that is almost 50 years late in being created. As the contentious executive committee meeting went on, party members who were fiercely objecting to AAC members being blocked from the meeting were finding their Zoom microphones muted. Why am I constantly being muted? Walt Allville asked. AAC co-chair Thorpe pointed out that the six at-large members have been relegated to the Zoom waiting room throughout the meeting. If that isn't discrimination, I don't know what is, Thorpe said. Chairwoman Biafor shot back that the affirmative action plan has to pass during the meeting as the deadline to submit the DN to the DNC was the next day. That's the way it has to work, Biafor snapped back after AAC co-chair Thorpe said that's not how it works. She doubled down, insisting it was a draft, et cetera, et cetera. Finally, 56 minutes into the two-hour meeting, dissenting state party members finally forced a change to the meeting agenda that would allow the locked-out at-large members to join the meeting before the vote on the affirmative action plan. But once the locked-out at-large members had finally been let into the meeting, the majority of their Zoom mics were muted without them having the ability to unmute themselves. I hope you all know how ridiculous we look to everyone watching on YouTube this is the party we love so much. Are you freaking kidding me? A meeting participant off screen said. The meeting moved to a, onto a motion on whether to table the vote on the affirmative action meeting, a motion that failed. It gets worse. It gets worse, folks. After a wildly contentious meeting, the end served as the most jarring. After a white member was allowed to submit an amendment to the affirmative action plan that would make the plan stipulate that it is an early draft, 
Marianne Clater, an African-American, attempted to submit an amendment, pointing out that she kept having her microphone muted. But BFOR shot her down. We've discussed this round and round. Nick moved that we put it to a vote, so that's what we're gonna do. I'm imagining they look mistrunchable right now, this woman. Claytor responded, okay, so that means we don't have any voice in this. I don't even know why you guys have a Black Caucus. As a Black American, this is a slap in the face. As a Black West Virginian, this is a slap in the face, AAC co-chair Lewis shouted. The West Virginia State Democratic Party, Senator Joe Manchin, and the DNC did not respond to requests for comment from status coup. And uh, on this page, you can watch the full two-hour meeting if you indeed have the stomach to watch such a meeting. So maybe you've heard about this, maybe you haven't. Ilhan Omar is uh, due to Republicans and now due to Democrats in hot water. And that's all people are talking about on Fox News, on Newsmax, etc. And guess what? They're trying to paint her as anti-Semitic again. Yeah, they are. Uh, the the uh, worst kerfuffle before this, where she was, where she were, where excuse me, stumbling all over my words, where she was smeared as an anti-Semite was about two years ago, and this is shaping up to be an even bigger kerfuffle than that. She has stated unequivocally she is not anti-Semitic, and a lot of these attacks have to do with the fact that she is Muslim. That is my opinion, and I think the evidence supports that as well. Um, I see we have a GoFundMe support coming in. Thank you, thank you, keep it going. Um, so Ilhan Omar was, was speaking and asked Secretary Blinken a question about um, the ICC and how it is treated, how the United States war crimes, um, Israel's Hamas, how these crimes are um, dealt with or handled in the ICC, okay? So with that context in mind, uh, go ahead, Colin, and play Ilhan's video to Secretary Blinken, please. Uh, I know you oppose the court's investigation in both um, Palestine and in Afghanistan. I haven't seen any evidence in either cases that domestic courts can, uh, both can and will prosecute alleged war crimes and crimes against humanity. And I would emphasize that in Israel and Palestine, uh, this includes crimes committed by both the Israeli security forces and Hamas. In Afghanistan, it includes crimes committed by the Af Afghan national government and the Taliban. So in both of these cases, if domestic courts can't or won't pursue justice, and we oppose the ICC, where do we think the victims of these supposed uh, crimes can go for justice? In, in both of these cases, if domestic courts can't or won't pursue justice, and we oppose the ICC, where do we think victims are supposed to go for justice? And what justice mechanisms do you support for them? Th thank you. Um, first, let me just say at the outset that um, it is impossible not to be profoundly moved by uh, not just the uh, uh, loss of life in the recent uh, violence and, and conflict, 
but especially uh, the children whose whose lives were lost. And we 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 all have a you know a tendency to throw statistics and numbers out there, but uh, we were talking about um, boys and girls, Israelis and Palestinians, uh, as well as men and women. And uh, I think uh, none of us, from whatever from whatever perspective we we come, uh, can can lose sight of that. So that's one thing that's that's very important. Look, I, you know our views on um, uh, on the ICC and its its jurisdiction. We continue to believe that absent uh, a Security Council uh, referral or absent uh, the uh, request by the, uh, the state itself, uh, that that's not appropriate. I continue uh, to believe that whether it is uh, the United States or Israel, uh, both of us uh, have the uh, have the means. Mr. Secretary, I, I do understand that point. I'm asking what mechanism do you think is is available to them? I, I believe that we have, uh, whether it's the United States or Israel, we both have uh, the mechanisms to um, make, make sure that there is accountability uh, in, uh, in in any situations where there are concerns about um, uh, the use of force uh, and uh, human rights, uh, et cetera. I believe that both of our democracies have that uh, have that capacity, and we've demonstrated it, and uh, we'll need to continue to demonstrate it going forward. And in the case of Afghanistan? Uh, with regard to Afghanistan, if it's our uh, objection, as you know, was, was to the assertion of jurisdiction uh, over the United States in the absence of a Security Council uh, uh, referral. Uh, and uh, I believe that uh, we have uh, the uh, the means, if there are any uh, uh, cases to, uh, to be brought, to, um, to adjudicate them and to, uh, to find justice. So to me, it makes perfect sense. We all know that the United States commits war crimes. What did we do in 2001? We light our way into war, war that we are still in. Obama, with, with all of his drone strikes, we are, we, our country commits war crimes. Just because it's us doing it doesn't mean it's great and wonderful. People need to get that out of their minds. Republicans especially, conservatives especially, need to get that out of their minds. America isn't exceptional. America isn't perfect. The, the children we kill because they're brown, they don't mean less. We're awful. So that's what she's talking about, the ICC, which is supposed to, you know, be an international crime court. Yeah, Israel, we can all agree, has committed war crimes, including last month. Right? You know, remember that time that nobody's talking about where they just decided to take out the building the AP and Al Jazeera were housed in, the Associated Press? They took out the building the Associated Press was in. Well, that's not, nobody, you know, no Associated Press person died, et cetera. That's definitely not at the top of the list. I'm just saying America forgets. America has forgotten those 60 plus children who were murdered by Israel. Um, America's forgotten, America's gone back to sleep. Israel commits war crimes. CNN, CNN's producer was in, uh, was in 
I can't, I guess it was by, yeah, I think this was by the Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Israeli guards or the IDF, I don't, I don't remember which, you know, faction it was, just started beating the producer for no reason, beating journalists. So CNN didn't report on it. CNN, your producer is getting beaten for no reason. Why aren't you reporting on it? There's so many war crimes committed by Israel. And then Ilhan, Congresswoman Omar talks about Hamas. Yes which people have a variety of opinions on. We can all agree that they commit war crimes. They're not angels by any sense of the word. What Ilhan is not doing is equating them. She's not saying that, that they're all equal. She's not saying that, you know, any terrorist organization is the same as, you know, X, Y, Z. She's not saying these are all three the same thing. She's saying, the ICC, these active cases, active cases, guys, cases, yes, cases. She's asking about that. And so people have taken that by people. I mean, obviously conservatives, obviously um, Fox News, but now the Democrats as well. So the Democrats waited a day and they did it in a really shady, shady way. But first, before we get into what the Dems did, including Madam Nancy Pelosi, Speaker Nancy, uh, Ilhan responded with her own kind of announcement or, or response. So this statement was posted on Representative Ilhan Omar's uh, official website. Representative Ilhan Omar's statement on questions during the House Foreign Affairs Committee. On Monday, I asked Secretary of State Antony Blinken about ongoing international crime court investigations. To be clear, the conversation was about accountability for specific incidents regarding those ICC cases, not a moral comparison between Hamas and the Taliban and the US and Israel. I was in no way equating terrorist organizations with the democratic countries with well-established judicial systems. So again, guys, she's talking about accountability for specific incidents regarding ICC cases. What is what is the ICC for? It's to hold internationally um, countries accountable, right? That's what it's for. So why can't she ask about it? If there are cases, why can't she ask about those cases? Why is it anti-Semitic to ask about those cases? By the way, she didn't just ask about Israel. She asked about the United States. So those just defaulting to, oh, this is anti-Semitism, that doesn't even make sense. There's nothing wrong. Uh, yes, as, as uh, Cheryl says in the, in the chat, nothing wrong with what she's doing. There's nothing wrong with asking about ICC cases. There's nothing wrong with admitting that there's something majorly wrong with our country that there's something majorly wrong with what the state of Israel is doing to, to those who live in Gaza, for example. And it has to be pointed out that not having support for Zionism does not mean anti, that you're anti-Semitic. It does not mean that. Zionism and, and Judaism are not the same thing. Zionism is a relatively recent creation that is weaponized, by the way. Zionism is weaponized by insane, I'm not calling all Christians insane, but I'm saying by insane factions of Christian denominations 
that literally want Jews to go to Israel so that they die because they think these these wacky Christian sects think that that it's part of the prophecy that the Jews have to go in Israel so that they, meaning the, the wacky uh, extremist Christians, can go to heaven. Well, how the hell isn't that anti-Semitic? Why are Zionist lobbies accepting money from those freaks? Why? Why is it Ilhan Omar who is getting all this, um, getting yelled at from every corner for talking about ICC cases, which are things that exist? She's not making this up. This exists. Why is she getting all of this crap for speaking truth? Why aren't we talking about the wackadoodle Christian organizations in DC who are pushing the Zionist lobby because of their wacky ideas? Although it's probably in DC, it's probably more about the more about the Benjamins for, for those uh, Christian Zionists than it is uh, about um, their belief in the prophecy. But those under them, those who follow these people, those who follow these these preachers who say, you know, we, you know, we support this um, blah, 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 because it's part of the prophecy. That's insane. People need to know about this. Why? Why are they not being called out? Why is Ilhan Omar being called out? It's because it's about money and it's because she is Muslim. Ilhan Omar is Muslim. So that's why she's getting all of this crap. So Colin, we're going to move on to the um, Mehdi Hassan tweet, which contains the Pelosi leadership team statement. It's absolutely crazy what these what these folks are doing. And Mehdi Hassan, um, love him or not, he makes a great point. He tweeted, does Pelosi have time? And so he's speaking of this, uh, this statement from leadership that, um, that was put out about Ilhan Omar, which I will read next. But Mehdi makes a great point saying, does Pelosi have time to acknowledge GOP members of the House, like Paul Gosar, attending white nationalist conferences with Holocaust deniers? How about Lauren Boebert putting crosshairs on Omar by calling her an honorary member of Hamas? Does the speaker have anything to say? Hmm, interesting. It's interesting, isn't it? What gets called out and what doesn't? And Colin, I'll go ahead and read the statement from Speaker Nancy and her cronies. The statement comes out of DC, of course, from Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Majority Leader Steny Hoyer, Majority Whip James Clyburn, Assistant Speaker Catherine Clark, Caucus Chairman Hakeem Jeffries, and Caucus Vice Chair Pete Aguilar uh, issuing this joint statement, which I'll get into the shadiness of even more, some of the behind-the-scenes shadiness. They say, legitimate criticism of the policies of both the United States and Israel is protected by the values of free speech and democratic debate. And indeed, such criticism is essential to the strength and health of our democracies. But drawing false equivalencies between democracies like the United States and Israel and groups that engage in terrorism like Hamas and the Taliban foments prejudice and undermines progress toward a future of peace and security for all. We welcome the clarification by Congresswoman Omar that there is no moral equivalency between the U.S. and Israel and Hamas and the Taliban. 
which of course, my friends, is nothing at all like what Ilhan Omar actually said. This is not what Congresswoman Omar said at all. She's not equating so-called democracies like the United States and Israel and, and the Taliban, for God's sake. She's not equating them with Hamas. That's not what she's doing. She was bringing up cases in the ICC. Cases, so if, if you believe that, that there are instances where countries or organizations should be held accountable, saying that they should all be held accountable for their actions does not mean you are equating their actions. And we can all disagree on how equal these actions are and aren't. I'm sure some of you think, oh, how could you say bad things about the United States? Probably not you guys, but some people out there. Um, and, and how could you, you know, do X, Y, Z? And oh my goodness, how could you even put, you know, Hamas in the same category? But that's not what's happening. What's happening is there are war crimes for all of all of the above, right? So it's about the accountability. It's about the ICC and these cases. What they are doing is exactly what they mean to do. What they mean to do is spin this and smear Ilhan Omar. That's exactly what they want to happen because the lobbies won't let them have it otherwise. That's what's happening here. And in case you thought, oh, maybe they're saying this in good faith, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe. Colin, can you go ahead and pull up that New York Times quote that starts, a house democratic aid? Yeah, yeah if you're thinking this was done in good faith, that these, these leaders actually care, the answer is no. Because Representative Omar did reach out to these people. By these people, I mean Nancy Pelosi and her cronies. A house democratic, this is out of the New York Times, a House Democratic aide familiar with the back and forth said Ms. Omar's anger stemmed from her treatment by the dozen colleagues who publicly abraded her. She had heard that they were going to publicly call for a clarification of her remarks and reached out to some of them several times on Wednesday. They did not respond before their public chastisement, said the aide, who spoke on the condition of anonymity to describe private discussions. So if anyone is making the argument that Nancy Pelosi, Hakeem Jeffries are acting in, in good faith here, that gets that gets flown right out the window. Of course they aren't. She reached out. She reached out. They didn't answer her. They didn't respond to her. If they really cared, if they really wanted clarification, why didn't they respond? Why are they lying about what she said? You know, people aren't going to actually go watch that clip of what she actually said. They know people don't have an understanding of the ICC. They know this. They know they can spin this in any way they want to because their pocketbooks and their bank accounts depend on the spin. They don't care about throwing Ilhan Omar under the bus, especially because she's Muslim. Nancy Pelosi can pretend she's a progressive all she wants but we all know she's not. And the fact that they're willing to do this repeatedly to Ilhan Omar is disgusting. And it's not just a matter of hurting Ilhan Omar's feelings. This is dangerous. The lies that they are putting out there, the lies that are coming out on Fox News and the like, 
They're dangerous. I'm going to have Colin play a clip next that I went back and forth on playing. And um, please know that the N word is used. I went back and forth on playing it because of that, because it is a white person on that clip using that disgusting, horrible word. And obviously very racist and, and uh, the whole message is scary and awful. But I decided the fact that Ilhan Omar uh, so strongly believed in the importance of posting this on her Twitter account that I, I feel like she wants this message to get out that this is happening, that this is not a game, these lies. So, Colin, if you can, please play the um, Ilhan Omar tweet video that starts with trigger warning. Every time I speak out on human rights, I am inundated with death threats. Here is one we just got. Muslims are terrorists and she is a raghead bleep. And every anti-American communist piece of shit that works for her, I hope you get what's coming for you. So Colin, um, go ahead and play the clip. Destroy cultural heritage. They they destroy cultural heritage. They destroy history, um, just like Miss Ilhan Omar, because Muslims are terrorists, and she is a raghead. And every anti-American communist piece of shit that works for her, uh, I hope you fucking get what's coming for you. And that is just one of, of many. That's one of many. She's a mother, you know, she's, she's taken this job in Washington and whatever you think of her, I happen to think that she is a good person. I have interviewed her and there's something about, you might think this is silly, but there's something about her spirit that you can just kind of feel and sense it. She's good. Um, she's a mother and she's taking this, she, taking this job, uh, to, in, in her view, make America a better place to put through policies that make it more equitable for everyone. And in doing this and calling out actual cases at the ICC and mentioning the United States and mentioning Israel and also, of course, mentioning Hamas and, and uh, Hamas war, war crimes, she's getting death threats and she gets them all the time. But now, because the Democrats are spinning this, with this formal call out, this awful formal call out that's filled with, with spin, along with Fox News running with this all the time. You think they're gonna stop? Fox News is gonna keep going with this days and days and days from now. This is dangerous, dangerous, disturbing, and horrible. But I wanted to point out the kind of hypocrisy of, of some of this and just this this silliness. Um, so Colin, I don't know if you have this, but um, either way, I'll read Joe Biden's schedule. So this is Joe Biden's first overseas trip as president. So today he met with um, Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the UK from June 11th through 13th, this, this is the G7. So we know we'll have news coming out you know, daily on that. And then June 13th, he has, uh, he and, and Lady Jill will meet with Queen Elizabeth at Windsor Castle. 
Then he on June 14th has the NATO summit. Then June 15th, the US-EU summit. And then June 16th, he'll be meeting with Putin, which is very, very interesting to me. We'll see what happens there. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be covered in the exact same way that it was covered with Trump, right? Like a meeting with Putin will be covered simply the same. Um, so the the announcement from the Queen about their their meeting, the Queen will meet the President of the United States of America and First Lady Jill Biden at Windsor Castle on Sunday, 13th, June, 2021. Her Majesty will welcome the President and the First Lady at the dais in the quadrangle of Windsor Castle. Upon the President and the First Lady's arrival, a guard of honor formed of the Queen's Company, First Battalion, Grenadier Guards will give a royal salute and the US national anthem will be played. The President will then accompany the officer commanding the Guard of Honor, Major James Taylor and Major General Christopher Gika to inspect the Guard of Honor, which that sounds like a weird, weird thing to do, but whatever floats your boat, before returning to the dais to watch the military march passed alongside the Queen and the First Lady. The President and the First Lady will then join Her Majesty for tea in the castle. Um, I just wanted to quickly point out that the media is not reporting anything serious about this trip at all. Like trying to find serious reporting about this trip abroad is like a needle in a haystack. All people are reporting about, this is an exaggeration, but all anyone's talking about in the media is that Jill Biden wore a coat that says love on the back. As if this is saving America. I wanna point out some of the hypocrisy of, um, the just you know the the hubbub around the royal family and uh this in general like there are a lot of reasons to not care about the royal family i understand people that do i think it's you know it's like a celebrity thing it's they're interesting there's a lot of history there i don't blame anyone for being interested in it but as far as like worshiping these people no i think that's wacky um Hopefully I don't uh, offend any Brits out there. <laughs> I did grow up. One of my one of my stepmothers was British, so I um, I, I don't know. I enjoy the Yorkshire pudding. That's all I can say. <laughs> um, so the anti-monarchy movement is having a moment right now. You know why? Anti-monarchists say the unsavory details revealed in a sit-down interview on Sunday. Obviously talking about Harry and Meghan. So this is just a, a really quick read and rundown of why not everyone is in love with the royal family. The Republicans are cheering about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's interview with Oprah Winfrey last night. Not those Republicans, lowercase r. British citizens who oppose the monarchy are having a moment after the Duke and Duchess of Sussex used the sit down to throw shade on the royal family. The couple's comments range, ranged from accusations of racism and bullying to a general lack of support, which I think that is important and not light and not something to skip over. The accusations of racism, that is deeply rooted in the royal family, absolutely. Some think it's time for the 1,000 plus year old monarchy to go. The hashtag abolish the monarchy was trending on Twitter on Monday, which of course this article is not, not current which upset some supporters, such as Piers Morgan, oh, poor Piers, who then was trashed with a Twitter account for the British anti-monarchist group Republic, wrote back, 
don't whatever you do retweet this and keep that trend going the interview dominated social media chatter on and on um with everything from jokes about what ireland is thinking to references to princess diana's bombshell 1995 bbc interview with allusions to colonialism and that is something to pay attention to as well the history of colonialism and the current realities among the traditional arguments against keeping the House of Windsor in place are the expense, the undemocratic power the family wields, and the backwardsness of the institution itself. So they want to replace uh, these, these anti-monarchists with an elected head of state, uh, which, you know, overall, this, this movement is not super popular in, in Britain. They love their royals, which is fine. But let's get to something more um, serious and more important and something that certainly President Joe Biden, Dr. Jill are not going to ask about. They're not going to talk about this. None of the reporters are going to talk about this. Wouldn't you think that the perfect time to ask Prince Andrew questions, and yes, that's where I'm going with this, Epstein and Prince Andrew, wouldn't you think that the perfect time to ask questions about this is right now? Talk about a news hook, right? Hmm. So Colin, if you can pull up the news.com.au article titled Prince Andrew Quietly Removed from 50 Patronages Following Jeffrey Epstein Scandal. Hmm, how many of you heard about this story? Anyone? I follow this and I didn't hear about this until I looked it up today. The move by many organizations comes after the royal became mired in controversy over his friendship with convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. It's a little more than a friendship. This came out May 17th, so um, a little less than a month ago. The Duke of York has been quietly or publicly removed from the top role by dozens of different bodies, it was reported. The Telegraph states some felt it was no longer appropriate to continue their public associations with him. Others are said to have expressed a desire to find someone better suited to their aims and values. A spokesperson for the Duke of York declined to comment on the report. The royal stepped back from public duties after becoming mired in controversy 18 months ago. It was a little bit longer than 18 months ago. We've all known about Prince Andrew's association for many years. Side note from me. Over his friendship with convicted pedophile Jeffrey Epstein. Andrew was accused by one of Epstein's victims, Virginia Jufri, of having sex with her twice when she was 17. He has strongly denied all accusations and has kept a low profile since being forced out of the spotlight. Following his car crash BBC Newsnight interview, many of his charities found themselves in a difficult position, reports The Telegraph. And several are said to have decided to end their links with the prince almost immediately. Those reportedly included the Royal National Institute for the Deaf, the Golf Foundation, the Children's Foundation, and the Outward Bound Trust. The Royal Navy and Royal Marines Children's Fund was reported as saying, we felt that as a children's charity, it was not appropriate for him to remain patron. Ah, there you go. I wonder if the uh, Royal Navy and Royal Marines Children's Fund will see any repercussions for that statement. The Berkshire County Cricket Club, the Society for Nautical Research and Whitgift School in Croydon also apparently cut their ties. Uh, many chose not to comment. 
While others reportedly said, although they felt they should part ways with the Duke, they felt unable to do so as he has not been charged or convicted of a crime. Andrew has faced calls to speak with U.S. prosecutors and the FBI, which intensified after his girl—excuse uh, me—after his friend Ghislaine Maxwell was charged with allegedly recruiting girls for Epstein to sexually abuse. Miss Jufrey, who says she was trafficked by Epstein as a teenager, said in an interview with BBC Panorama that she was left horrified and ashamed after an alleged sexual encounter with the Duke in 2001. Andrew categorically denies he had any form of sexual contact or relationship with Miss Jufri. Um, and here is a photo that you can judge for yourself uh, about their relationship or whether, not relationship, excuse me, about whether he um, had, had that contact or not. Your, your opinion there is, is totally up to you. So all that is to say that this pretending that everything is fine and fancy with the royal family, that there's there's nothing going on, no problems, everything's fine. Oh, it's the queen, long live the queen, right? Yeah, of course there are problems. This is this is the UK. It's it's it, there are, there are a lot of reasons to not love this, but the fact that no one None of these traveling reporters who are going to be talking about the, the royal family and, and in the mix with the royal family and in the mix with those who know the royal family, none of them are going to ask about this. If they do, I'll, I'll eat my words. Thankfully, like, I would love that. That'd be great. Go for it, guys. Do it. Do it at that tea. Love that. That'd be great. I talked about this a bit at the top of the show. And Jordan and I are working on an important, a really important investigative story, yet another one. We released one a few months ago on The Intercept, but we have another one coming up. We don't know the exact date, but hopefully any, any day now. <laughs> We've been waiting quite a while. Uh, it has to get through legal checks and, and this and that. So we'll let you know ASAP. But in the meantime, there are a lot of things happening in Flint that don't go reported. There's a lot of racism. This is a majority poor, majority black city. The racism is astounding and not just related to the water crisis, but daily life, everything. We spoke about the fact that we're going to do some additional reporting on Breonna Taylor while we're there uh, on our reporting trip. We're going back to uh, Louisville, which we did last summer. Um, Remember that no-knock warrant that ended in police murdering Breonna Taylor? Well, here's another story about a no-knock warrant that's getting basically no attention. So this story comes out of M Live, which is a local you know, Michigan paper or Michigan um, outlet. Flint family calls for a Justice Department investigation after MSP house raid, Michigan State Police. A Flint family is calling for action after they say their home was wrongly raided by police in April. The raid of the home on Garland Street on Flint's north side was conducted around 10.45 p.m. April 21st and included 40 to 50 officers. 
said attorney Bill Goodman during a Tuesday, June 8th press conference at Joy Tabernacle Church. Goodman said the raid lasted almost an hour and involved the Michigan Police SWAT team and the Flint Major Crimes Task Force. This is serious stuff, scary stuff. The family later found out a confidential informant gave false information that led police to enter the home searching for a homicide suspect, he said. Renee Dunnigan, 56, and her daughter, Michelle Colston, 28, have lived at the home for the past 10 years. The mother and, and grandmother are raising Colston's children ages 3, 10, and 14. Think about this. There were 40 to 50 officers, the Michigan State Police SWAT team, and the Flint Major Crimes Task Force coming in at almost 11 p.m., with these three children there, who the, this family has lived there for 10 years. How was this mis mistake made? This is absurd. Are they not able to look up where people live? Do they not have a computer at, this, at the police force? The door was kicked in and we were told to put our hands up, so we held our hands up, Dunnigan said. She said she tried to ask police what was happening, but didn't get answers. Their phones were taken and the family, surrounded by armed police, was told to sit on the living room couch, Dunnigan said. Dunnigan's four-year-old grandson used to want to be a police officer and now he has been traumatized. That reminds me of when Jordan was interviewing uh, uh, Bianca Austin, Brianna Taylor's uh, aunt last summer. We heard a similar story that her son used to want to be a police officer, but now that the police murdered his, um, you know, his family member, he's terrified. This is something we have to live with every day and for us to have to be strong for them, we can't be strong all the time. She said she was told by police that a car in the driveway they shared with a neighbor led to the raid of their home, noting that police should have just asked about the car because they didn't know who it belonged to. Attorneys representing the family sent a letter to the U.S. Department of Justice on Tuesday, June 7th, calling for the department to investigate police practices in the city. The family is also calling for the Michigan legislature to ban no-knock warrants. Yeah, I, there's no, I don't understand how this mistake is made. You go talk to the people or for something like this with the 40 to 50 officers, you surveil them for a while. You don't just go in and traumatize a family. Michigan State Police confirmed in a statement that police executed a search warrant at the home. However, the family says there was no knock before police gained entrance. The search warrant was, in part, based on information provided by a confidential informant who officers found knowingly provided false information to investigators. The MSP has apologized to the family. Oh, great. Thanks, MSP. Thank you. That's so nice of you, you absolute psychopaths. 
and immediately began to work with both the landlord and the renters to remedy the situation, which, yeah, to remedy the, what, the trauma that you put on those children, which included paying for repairs to the front door, which was damaged during entry. Wow, what, what nice folks. This is absurd. Additionally, members of the MSP have met with the family and their attorneys to discuss what occurred and to answer their questions. Many of the other allegations being made are not accurate, nor are they reflective of the policies and procedures of the MSP. Yeah, the MSP, uh, let's just say they have a habit of lying, so be a little skeptical of what they say. Aaron Dunnigan, Renee's son, said he raced to his family's house when he heard there was a heavy police presence. He said he couldn't get answers and didn't know if his family was dead or alive. Can you imagine can you imagine that terror? I don't want to live in a world without police, but I wouldn't want to live in a world where police can just come in your house and do what they want when they want without any consequences or repercussions, Aaron Dunnigan said. So we are calling for an investigation into policies and how they conduct business in the communities that look like we do. 50 officers, and I only saw one black officer out of the bunch all in plain clothes with the exception of the SWAT team. No one who looks like my family policing my family. There's something not right with that picture. Aaron Dunnigan said he wants to see justice and reform come out of the situation. Um, and of course, Mayor Sheldon Neely issued a response. So <laughs> I don't know what to say, except why isn't this all over the news? Why is this allowed to keep happening? Why are these police so psychotic? What happened here? You know, that, that, that there's such a breakdown. You, the 40 to 50 police, the SWAT team, based on a liar's tip, that doesn't normally happen. That's not normal. Something else happened here. I bet you it did not, would not have happened um, in one of the wealthier towns close to Flint. I am so disgusted. And this is not the only story like this. I say this all the time. We pick these stories out of these towns and cities. And I have to always emphasize, this is not the only story like this. Racism is constant. Racism is everywhere. Racism is systemic. What are we going to do about it? Well, pressure, put the pressure on. That's, that's what we need to do. We need to hit them in the pocketbooks, put the pressure on. As far as this family, getting the word out, getting the word out. Mrs. Carter says, I'm from Michigan and this is a normal practice. Yep. Yep. And imagine how many times this doesn't make the news, how many times it's covered up, how many times... MSP lies, how many times your local police lie, how many times all police forces lie to try to get away with it. The only way that they don't get away with it is public pressure. Why do you think that Derek Chauvin got convicted on all three counts? It wouldn't have happened without public pressure. It wouldn't have ha happened without Black Lives Matter, without Black-led protests. But the latest game that Army Hammer is playing 
is, oh, poor Arnie. He's in rehab now. He's having mental health crises. Poor, poor Arnie. This is all bent to distract from the fact that there are serious and credible allegations from several, from several women, some of which have, have uh, kind of gone back underground. I've been really paying attention to this because of threats from seemingly uh, those associated with fans of Army Hammer, fans of Call Me By Your Name, um, those who ship those two main characters. I've never seen that movie, whatever. But they've been very, um, they've been very smeared and, and very scared. And it's been a really traumatic, traumatic thing. So here's the latest on Army Hammer, which this has some background as well. Out of Vanity Fair, came out on the 8th. Army Hammer has checked into a treatment program. He has so much trauma that he cannot deal with the stillness, face himself, or sit alone with his shit. By the way, this headline should say, Army Hammer has checked into a treatment program following credible allegations of rape and assault. That's what it should say. But because this is Vanity Fair, because this is Army Hammer, because uh, not only of his Hollywood celebrity, but because of his family power and wealth, this is what we have. Early on the morning of Saturday, May 29th, Army Hammer arrived at the Grand Cayman Airport, which his family is, spends a lot of time uh, of Caymans, to leave the island for the first time since the March 18th press conference in which a woman named Effie accused the actor of rape. The actor, who was denied any wrongdoing through his lawyer, was departing the Caymans to check into an inpatient facility for drug, alcohol, and sex issues, according to three sources. Hammer's arrival at the airport was first reported on social media by a witness who said that the actor walked in with his estranged wife, Elizabeth Chambers, and their two young children. A source close to Hammer confirmed that the actor reached out to Chambers in late May, asking for help and telling her that he was ready to seek treatment and pledging to stay at the Florida facility outside of Orlando as long as it takes to get healthy. Everyone looks at Army thinking he's had some sort of privileged life, which he has, and that must mean there were no problems in his youth and everything was peachy keen, said a close friend of the actor. But that's not necessarily the way things go. Just because you come from an upbringing where financial resources are plentiful doesn't mean life isn't without problems. Okay, cry me a river. That doesn't mean you, you allegedly rape several women. Neither Hammer's lawyers nor Chambers responded to Vanity Fair's request for comment on this story. The close friend of Hammer's added, this is a clear sign that he is taking back control of his life and knows that this is a step towards his overall well-being. I don't care about his overall well-being. Why is this an article? You might say, well, why are you covering something you don't think should be an article? I'm covering it to point out that this is what the media does. I'm, point I'm covering this to highlight that the story should actually be the women and how this is being used to distract from the credible, credible allegations. This January, several women took to social media to accuse the actor of emotional abuse, manipulation, and sexual violence. 
The scandal ballooned as screen grabs circulated that seemed to show the actor describing sexual fantasies involving rape and cannibalism. And see, they're, they're saying here, sexual fantasies. That's not all it was. It wasn't just kink, it wasn't just fantasies. They're not, this article is not pointing to what these women are saying happened. They're trying to whitewash what these women are saying. They're not saying that, oh, it was some kink, it was some bondage, and I ended up not liking it. They're not saying that. They're, that's not what they're saying. But that's what this article is, is telling you to think, to protect Army Hammer, to make you feel sorry for poor Army Hammer, who's now in treatment. I don't care, you know, I don't care, honestly, what has happened to you in your life. You don't do this to people, allegedly. I don't talk about this on air, especially. Um, few people know about my life growing up. I had a really, really shitty life growing up. A lot of abuse, sexual abuse, a lot of horrible things. Um, it was like a tale of two lives where my, my mother's side, like there was so, there was a lot of drugs. There was a lot of abuse, not from her. There, you know, she had her issues. She's been homeless most of her life. Um, and a lot of struggles. All that is not to say poor Jen. Like, yeah, I have complex PTSD. I suffer from that. But I don't go out and harm other people. I don't take my issues out on others. I don't use that as an, ex an excuse to harm other people. That's what Army Hammer and his friends are doing right now. That's what Vanity Fair is allowing to happen right now. Oh, poor Army Hammer. Poor little rich boy. He had a sad upbringing. And now, now this stuff is getting out. He's sad and it's hard. I don't care. I don't care what happened to you. You don't do it to other people. Let's see here. Then it goes on to talk about the fact that Army Hammer stepped away from projects, including one with Jennifer Lopez, um, uh, remaking of The Godfather, his agency WME dropped him, which is major, by the way, if these allegations were not credible, his agent, this wouldn't have happened. His agency wouldn't be dropping him, etc. I'm just saying, these are allegations. I am speculating that this wouldn't have happened. Let me be clear. Just speculating. The only public statement the actors made referencing the allegations came in January when he explained why he was stepping away from the J-Lo film. I'm not responding to these bullshit claims, but in light of the vicious and spurious online attacks against me, I cannot in good conscience now leave my children for four months to shoot a film in the Dominican Republic. So, of course, he's being a privileged jerk who won't, you know, even think about anything, any of these allegations. On March 18th, a woman named Effie held a Zoom press conference alongside her lawyer, Gloria Allred. To accuse the actor of violently raping her in an alleged assault she says took place in 2017 and lasted over four hours. He repeatedly slammed my head against a wall, bruising my face, Effie said through tears. He also committed other acts of violence against me to which I did not consent. For example, he beat my feet with a crop so they would hurt with every step I took for the next week. During those four hours, I tried to get away, but he wouldn't let me. 
I thought that he was going to kill me. Um, so why is no one talking about this? Effie's not the only one. Paige, Paige Lawrence as well. Others who've gone underground, who I won't say their names. I do know their names, but um, if they've chosen to, to no longer come forward, then I won't repeat them. Hammer's lawyer responded to this saying that, uh, that include, oh, so Gloria Albright did not say Effie's last name, but basically Army Hammer and his lawyer doxed Effie. Effie has gone through great lengths to hide her last name, like to hide her full identity. Her full name is not Effie. That's a nickname. And these assholes put it out there. Uh, saying Effie's own correspondence with Mr. Hammer undermines and refutes her outrageous allegations. As recently as July 18th, 2020, she sent graphic texts to Mr. Hammer telling him what she wanted to do to her. Mr. Hammer responded, making it clear that he did not want to maintain that type of relationship with her. The screenshot is just one of hundreds she sent to Mr. Hammer. I don't care what she sent. I don't care. That's a thing that people don't realize about abusive relationships is that often women try to go back or whoever is being abused tries to go back or hold on to what it was because they some, I don't want to speak for Effie, but sometimes women feel like it's all they deserve. Sometimes women feel like they caused it. Sometimes women try to talk them out of the idea that they were raped or assaulted and try to make it okay. And Effie had a quite a long relationship with Army Hammer. So she, I assume, again, I'm not speaking for her, wanted in some way to hold on to that. That doesn't mean she wasn't raped and assaulted. And that's not even all of, of what Effie has said and come out with, by any means. Um, Allred called on Hammer to work with authorities on any potential investigations rather than let his lawyer speak for him. I feel immense guilt for not speaking out sooner because I feel like I may have been able to help others not become victims, said Effie. I want other survivors of sexual assault around the world to feel empowered and know that they are heard, believed, understood, supported, and loved. Afterward, the LAPD confirmed that it was investigating Hammer. On Tuesday, LAPD uh, officer Norma Eisenman told Vanity Fair that detectives are not commenting on the case. So Army Ham Hammer's mother, um, God, Army Hammer's mother wrote in to Vanity Fair. This family is so privileged, it's absurd. I'm not going to read this whole thing, but I, if you want to read this wacky letter, go for it. Um, she's, she starts by saying she forgives Vanity Fair uh, for a previous article. Multiple people speaking to Vanity Fair over the past four months have alluded to unresolved trauma in Army Hammer's own past, as well as ongoing substance abuse. I don't care. Get help, Army. Don't take it out on others, allegedly. Um, Effie released the following statement after the story was published. While I am glad that Army is finally getting the help I begged him to get for so long, this does not take away all of the immense pain and suffering he has caused me. So definitely, um, I encourage you 
to keep up on that story. Don't let people forget or or put aside that this is still happening. You know, the the Me Too um, movement or whatever did some some bad. I think you know a lot of I have a lot of comments on that, but um, that doesn't mean it, it. That doesn't mean it didn't do good. But now here we are. Here we are, still in a, a space where an article that should be about the allegations against Army Hammer and how he's um, shifting the blame is turned into a poor Army Hammer article. 